Welcome back, fantastic listeners. This is Sam. And Anna. And this week, we have a very special guest, our good friend, Phoebe. Hello. So this week, we're going to be rediscussing Name of the Wind, chapters 66 through 69. But before we get started, since we have a guest... Yes. You look so on the spot. Uh, spotlight. <laughs> I just wanted to ask spot. you, one, how did you start reading the books? Two, how many times have you read them? And three, who's your favorite character? Oh, I wish I had prepped for this. <laughs> Sorry, I made it up on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> I got started reading them because my oldest sister suggested the series to me. Okay. I think it was like, I don't know, three years ago maybe? And I've read them twice through. I should say I've listened to them twice through. And then, oh, my favorite character. I'm going to have to think about this. Do you have a favorite character in, like, all of fantasy? Would that make it easier? That would make it way harder. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to limit you. I don't want to limit you. I need some limitations. Okay, I'll put you in the box of this book. Oh, man. There's too many characters. I think my favorite's Simmon. He is excellent. He's so simple, and I know he, like, gets portrayed as, like, a supporting character, but I think there's just something very pure about Simon, where he's very relatable, he's every, like, at least anyone who's ever read the book, you know a Simon. He's not perfect, he means well, and he's wholesomely good. That's fair. And sometimes comedic relief. Yeah, like, yeah, he's he that. comedic relief. Like, he sucks in a delightful way, like, there's that whole part where... Denna pops in over at the Aeolian, they're hanging out, and she's like, oh, I, you know, want dinner and, like, to hang out, mm, and yeah. they're looking for a good excuse for Kavolt to kind of, like, take his leave, and Willem is like, oh, yeah, he drinks more than he talks, they like, get rid of him, you're doing us a favor, and then classic Simmons like, yeah, if he didn't go with you, he'd be moping about it for days, like, it means well, but just, like, sucks at the delivery, like, yeah, he we, we all know a Simmons, he means well, he's a good friend, he just kind of sucks sometimes, like... Not in, like, a bad way, though. No, just, like, buffoonery. I think my favorite character is Devi because she's an independent woman who's made her own way despite, like, not finishing her education and has found this, like, little powerful niche for herself and is very educated but uses it in a way that's, like, more practical in the world than, like, just education. She's a bad bitch. Yeah. Yeah, strong character. That, like, oh, she's so good at sympathy, like, Book two with all that cool stuff. Like, yeah, she's really good at sympathy. That's what I mean. She's like very powerful. Yeah. You're giving me all this time to think. <laughs> Still, I'm thinking. Um, I really like Master Kelvin. I think he's pretty cool. Like, he's great. Just like a strong character and kind of steers both in the right direction sometimes. He's very morally grounded. Yeah. Anytime Kaboth makes something or makes a decision, he always like checks and he's like, how did you come by the money for paying me off? Or when you make something, it has repercussions for the school. So right. there is definitely a morality factor with Kilden that's very refreshing that you don't see with the other educators at the university. Mm-hmm. I also like that like you would expect like kind of like a blacksmith to be like rough and gruff, and he is, and he's like, oh, my fingers are like too big, but like Sigildry is like a very fine artwork, and it's taking me a long time to like master it. Yeah. So that's always cool. You can do mm-hmm. like all that complicated math in his head. Yeah, yeah. He's really smart. Like, like he's like his. I feel like his mind is just like an ex, a huge like Excel spreadsheet of like five million things happening at once. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like sympathetic bindings, sigildry. It's like numbers. It's names. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah, but also then just like how much money everyone's spending, how many hours they're all working, who's showed up for their shifts, who hasn't. Like he's very cool. Yeah, 
a powerful being. And I love that he's on the quest to like find a light that never burns out. I know. It's such a random thing. Such a lovely, a lovely goal in life. I know. Yeah. Like, I just want it to burn forever. It's very altruistic. Actually, you know what? I do like Simon. Oh, I, I think so maybe you made a good case for Kilvin. I never <laughs> yeah. thought of him as like a main <laughs> character, but I actually really do like it. Yeah. He's definitely not a main character, but whenever he's in it, I'm just like, it just seems a little bit better. Mm. Yeah. You're right. No, he's really good. He reminds me of, like, a Hagrid-like character. Like, he's very homey. Literally, though, when I was thinking of, like, casting characters, mm-hmm. I thought of him as, like, a more well-kept Hagrid. Yeah. Like, yeah. Obviously, like, human size, but... You know, in... Um... Sure, I've said that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in Spirited Away, yeah. there's the guy who runs Kumaji, who runs oh, the Oh, the boiler room, yeah. The boiler... He has, like, eight arms, yeah. but he's always running the boiler room. He's very gruff. He has a big mustache. Yeah. He's very gruff around the edges, <laughs> but he also has such, like, a soft spot for those little, like... The dust light spirits. Those little, like, dust puffies that run around in his room. Like, that's Kilvin in my mind. That, like, those stars are Inside the little puff things. Yeah. Oh, my precious. He feeds them sprinkles. Yeah, he's like, go along. It's so cute. Make your wonders. I love it. And then the girl in the movie's like, give me a job. He's like, I guess I'll give you. Your apprenticeship starts now. Like... I know, he's such, like, a hard bar. I love it. Uh, I love it. <sighs> Alright, Sam, you want to start us with chapter 66? Yes. We left off with Kavoth dropping off Denna, planning to meet her at the Aeolian for, for lunch, lunch the next day. And quite beautifully written, the last end of that chapter was filled with a giddy excitement. How young, how foolish, how wise. Which is just, like, the perfect, like, young love. That, that phrase comes up again. It does. He describes Dunna as foolish and wise back-to-back. Hmm. This brings us to chapter 66, Volatile. Mm. Probably one of my favorite sequences in this book. It's just... Oh, it, the chaos. It's so chaotic and so intense. It's really well written. And, if we remember, Kavoth encountered Master Lauren, said he looked like the Modigan Doctor in plays who always signifies disaster in the next act. So I believe good, this is the disaster that's shown up. Good oh. foreshadowing. Also, later on, Kilvin says disaster every seven years. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yes. Much to talk about. We're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> I know. But I think this is like, it was foreshadowed unintentionally, and then like there's this huge disaster in well, the multiple. There's many disasters, disasters, but, like, this is the main disaster. Mm. It's also, like, called a disaster. Like, in the book, multiple times. Yes. Yeah, they, very, they like, like, physically call it right. the disaster. So we have Kavoth early the next morning heading to the fishery to do some work making some of the uh, blue light emitters for sympathy lamps, earn an extra bit of money so he can fund his lifestyle because he's very low on cash right now. I think it's also funding lunch with Denna. Yes, yes. that too. Yes. He's hoping yes. to get an advance from Kilvin by making these, so lunch with Denna will be a little bit better than just bread and wine from the night prior. Honestly sounds delicious, though. And he's got a couple hours to kill, and so when he's working in the workshop, he approaches this really large uh, canister that has the, um, the bone, bone tar. tar. Thank you. And as he's looking at it, he notices that it's kind of frosted around the edges. It's looking a little bit colder to the point where he can literally kind of see his breath near the canister. And he turns to Jackson, who is working in the shop as well. And he's like, is it supposed to be that cold? 
And I kind of like this whole interaction because Jackson clearly has been, like, working on a project for, like, way too long. He's, like, tired around the eyes. He's, like, so exhausted it's almost like... I mean, I feel like if you've pulled an all-nighter in college, you know exactly oh, yeah. what this feels like. And someone, like, under you is saying things, you're just like... You're like, go away, freshman. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're, like, kind you of... You're, you're drunk almost just from, like, sleep exhaustion. Yeah. Also, Jackson's the one he traded his favor for in the past. He did. That was a good callback. But I just love this where he's like, should it be this cold? And he, Jackson looks at it and shrugs. He's like, better too cold than not cold enough, huh? And he like, chuckles and like, walks away. I feel like Jackson is like just drunk now with like lack of sleep of like, ah ha ha. Yeah, literally. Just. I think that's just like, oh, it's early morning. It's cold. It's, it's fine. It's, it's cold. Like, maybe the kilns haven't fired up in the forges. Like, right. I guess it's all right. There's no also deal. a third of the people at the fishery in the morning than when he's used to working in the evenings. I so. actually really love that, though. Like, it's kind of like if you go to the gym in the morning. It's, like, very yes, quiet. different world. Mm-hmm. It's a totally different world than if you go at, like, 5 p.m. when everyone's, like, getting out of work. And that's a big whatever. thing, too, because he spots Fela there. Right. And she, he never sees her there. He, he works in the evening, so... He's like, oh, wow, I didn't even know she comes here. It's yeah. Because cool it's like, I feel like Patrick Rothfuss foreshadows almost everything that happens, whether it's just like a couple sentences ahead or like, you know, entire books ahead. Like, so he's like, oh, I spotted Fela walk like in the thing. And you're not even like thinking, you're just like, oh, that's just part of the description it's like of an observation. It. And later on, it matters a lot, but. Yeah, absolutely. It and it was like doubly foreshadowed because when they introduced the bone tar, all the students who work in the fishery had to show up and both is like, oh, I didn't know Fela worked here. Hmm. Weird. And then, like, she's there, and he's like, oh, I guess that one is, like, when she comes into work. And then, it, obviously, it, like, manifests itself as the fact that he has to, like, save her from this fire. Sowing seeds. I don't know how much, like, I feel like Patrick Roth so much to have, like, one of those, like, string walls of, like, however <laughs> yeah, like, it's all, like, connected, like... <laughs> It's so complicated. It's all gonna go down. Like, oh my god. Ugh, but actually, so Kavod gets, like, some of the bone tar, and he starts working on the emitters a couple hours later. Like, he's, like, just going all the way through. He's working, like, very focused. A couple hours later, he's, like, interrupted by this, like, not loud, but clearly, like, panicked voice just going, oh my god. But that's the worst part. It's so, like, controlled, like, fuck. You know, like, yeah, it's bad. It's almost worse than screaming. Like, that's like if I don't know if you've ever been in an argument with someone, but if you, I think one of our teachers taught us this in high school. If you're having a fighting match with someone, they said lower your voice. Oh, yeah. If you talk to like an angry person at a normal level, like they'll get. I'm, I swear angrier. we learned that in like English class in ninth grade, but could be. It was just like, take your voice down a notch, and everything becomes scarier. <laughs> <laughs> To actually make it full circle for a second, it's like the three things wise men's fear. It's like the moon on like a starless night or whatever. And oh, then the yeah. third thing is the anger of like a gentle man. And Ooh. then, you know, like lowering your voice in argument. It's like, oh shit, it's about to go down. So yeah, we quite literally have our oh shit moment. The bone tar is leaking out of its canister and spilling out into the it's fishery like slow- floor. Uh, it both like watches it go down like the table leg and like... Hitting the like floor, eating away. and then he's right. like, uh-oh, because as soon as, like, the table, like, disintegrates in it, like, the table falls and the canister falls, and it just, like, the whole thing is, like, spilling Yeah, everywhere. like, gallons. And it's crazy, because, like, in my mind, the way I imagine it, what is it, um, I think it was, like, in Boston, like, the great, uh... Molasses? Yes, thank yeah. you. It's, like, that oh, great yeah. molasses flood of, like, whatever, but... 
yeah, like, this bone tar spilling out, and, like, it's such a triple threat, because, like, it's corrosive on contact, and then it starts, like, it sets the flame, and then you have, like, the fire fog, so, like, like, the fog, and, like, the ammonia fumes, Mm -hmm. like, it's so bad, and I, in my head, it, it moves slowly, but I think the way it's described in the book, it, like, spreads very quickly, because it's going down, like, a couple of different drains in two different directions because the floors it's like pitted got like angles to it so it like drains towards two drains so it must be flowing really fast because it kind of like quarters off half of the fishery Kavoth's on the outside but he can see Fail is like inside this like wedge of fire at this right. point but it's interesting because I did think of it more like molasses like yeah. oozing seeping but yeah I guess I thought of it moving really slowly but it's gotta be going so fast right because I remember him mentioning it he's like I envision the entire fishery going up in flames in under a minute. That's really fast. Whereas, yeah. I don't know why, like, the molasses, like, thing is such, like, a prominent... It's hard. It's, like, sticky and sweet. Yeah, I feel like exactly. it's gotta be moving like... slow. But, I like, I think it's just funny because, like, the molasses spill like Boston is, like, a big mm-hmm. thing in, like, our historical memory because we live in New England and everything. It's, like, that great molasses thing <laughs> of 18-whatever-whatever. <laughs> and in my mind, I was, like... Who's getting gotten by molasses? <laughs> <laughs> it's like in horror movies, like Frankenstein like walks to the victim and you're like, okay, you couldn't run. Yeah. But I learned the other day, not the other day, but like not within the past year, that the molasses went at 30 miles per hour. <laughs> what? That's you can't sprint away from them. No, it's boiling sugar coming what? at you at a 30 mile per hour. It must have been what? horrifying. Yeah, it was I don't like, know what's so worse, that or the Bontar, like So many people died. Anyway, so Bontar, regardless, is like hot fucking fire coming at you at like mega speeds right, and like cornering right. you in. And then on top of it, the fumes are like really bad for you. Yeah. You're gonna burn the insides of your lungs with ammonia, not even just, like, the heat of it. And so this part's just awesome, because Kavoth, like, just dialing in, sees what's going on, looks to the corner of the fishery, sees Fela. she's been working in a desk, like, far off from everybody, so she's kind of, like, pinned herself unintentionally, like, in a corner pocket, and he's like, crap, like, she's gonna get toasted, like, I gotta do something. I absolutely love, like, this whole sequence of events. He runs over to, like, the dowsing chamber, which is basically used for if you're, like, on fire or there's any, like, corrosive, like... I mean, it's, it's like a... It's like an eye wash station, but on steroids, the right. waterfall. <laughs> they have some of those. Where you they pull have this those chain and it's like... Poof. It's like just, like, so much water comes yeah. down. And so I love that, like, even during this, like, oh shit moment, he's like, there's no way I'd be able to, like, get myself, like, drenched enough in time, so... He, like, grabs a piece of, like, twice-tough glass, he, like, cuts his hand, he creates a sympathetic binding, and he just, like, destroys the glass and gets, like, doused. I also, so I thought he was able to, like, pull the chain enough to, like, douse himself enough with it, but he was worried about, like, draining enough of, like, the bone tar away, and that's why he broke the, like... So I think thing. I think it says that the drench is too slow. Yeah. Because Calvin Laker, oh. yeah, Master Calvin is, like... How did you do this in time? Like, the drench would have been too slow for you to get soaked enough to, like, do what you did. So he, when he does, I had to re-listen to this because I was like, there's so much happening in such a short time. It's such a fast thing. He has this glass hemisphere. He breaks it. He cuts himself with it to get, like, um, a bit of blood for binding. And then through that binding, using, like, the body heat, or I guess the heat of the blood, he crushes the twice-tough glass. Yes. Which is then how he works the drench. He does, like, a dual link. He does his link... From the glass of the 
globe to the glass of the drench, and then his blood to the glass stomps on it. No, I understand that. I just, in my head, I thought, like, because you know we have those wash stations that are just like, will douse you in water. Oh, I thought, chain so I thought this thing was like eight to ten feet wide, like a ten to twenty foot false tall cylinder of water. Yeah. And I thought the drench would be fast, but he realized that, like, in order to, like, cut the amount of fire running towards Fela, he would have to, like, sploosh this amount of water down. Right. And then, like, run through and save her. I still imagine that quantity of water. I just think, like, when he pulls the chain, in my mind, it's like a shower head. Oh, So it's, like, kind of getting there where, like... He does okay, that, and okay. it's like tidal wave. I'm surprised they don't have like an open source of water somewhere. Right. I would think they would. Like have you think like water. blacksmith. I know it's not blacksmith, but like they have like things where they they put the hot metal in too. So like there's got to be enough like, water in there. And so I really so, just love this sequence because I just love his gamble of being like, I got nothing left. Blood magic, like time to go. Yeah, right. and so, so he gets doused. He like I runs over to Fela, and then he's like. I'm he, like, wrap wraps you in his my like cloak. Uh, yeah, he is, he like wraps his cloak around her, and it's so funny because like she's like kind of holding up her hands, like ah, I don't know what's happening. But he's like just like throws a cloak around her as fast as possible, and like he's like you know in a storybook like I'd carry her out like so romantically, like Prince Gallant. I yeah. just like throw her over my shoulder, and, like, <laughs> like a sack of out of yeah, quite literally like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> and it reminded me, so I took a scuba diving course where we had to do rescue diving, and we. Quote unquote, we played this game, which was actually like a rescue scenario where, like, as a scuba diver, you had to, like, literally lay on the bottom of this cove and wait for someone to come and rescue you. And, are you above or below water? Oh no, you are laying on the bottom of the ocean. Someone is coming to rescue you. I mean, hopefully, like, oh but with the oxygen, wouldn't that make you buoyant? I don't know anything about scuba diving. No, so you have your oxygen. You have your oxygen, but you're. You've taken all of your buoyancy out of your vest. Okay. I'm not going to, like, explain scuba diving right now. No, that's fine. I know nothing about scuba diving, <laughs> so that's You take all I'm the buoyancy out of your vest, so you're laying on the bottom. You have, like, the weight. You have no nothing counteracting against, like, the weight of your gear, so you're just, like, laying on the bottom. Okay. Until someone comes to rescue you. But we had to pair up with people, and it was, like, a professional, like, a scientific dive course, and most of the people in the class were, like, much bigger guys and I'm like not a oh, very big person and as a woman I'm like not very heavy and I had to lift my like scuba dive partner like up and out of this rescue situation so what you have to do is like you have to go swim down to the bottom and get your person and then like bring them to the surface and like swim them into shore and you have to fireman carry them over your shoulder and my partner was, like, six feet tall and, like, 250-pound oh, guy. <laughs> oh, and, like, man. I'm 5'4", so there was no way that, like... <laughs> so this poor person's feet were, like, dragging <laughs> along as I was trying to, like, carry them in. And it was it was fine in the water because, like, you have the buoyancy of the water. But as soon as you got out of the water, I was like, oh, my God, this is so hard. Just flop over <laughs> that sand. So yeah. hard. So I got him, like most of the way in and then I like dropped this poor person in the ground and I was like okay you're safe (laughs) and we were like half in the water and half out of the water and like there was like waves hitting us in the face because I like just could not get them in far enough and like I'm just so reminded of like both being like I got this and like running in and like slapping the cloak on her like 
fire me carrying her out. Then he gets like halfway and then like he breathes in the ammonia like air and he's like, oh, uh-oh. Oh, never mind. <laughs> like, I just love this because it's like hit check against the desk, like right. <laughs> breathing in smoke. <laughs> and then just like smacked out. Oh. So like brilliant, like heroic effort. And I just love where Kavolt always aims for this like Tarvel in the great, like being a hero, Johnny on the spot, and then like in like practicality, it's like he's a 15, 16 year old boy, like things don't always go according to plan, but and, like you also recognize he recognizes this too though. Yes. He's I, like, I didn't pick her up like Prince Gallop. It was more like potatoes. <laughs> so. I mean next chapter, Phala loved it. She was like, You were Prince Gallant and all this everything rolled into one. Well, oh and all my the God. stories about him everybody's telling makes him this huge hero. So like he eats it up, but he knows internally like it's not as great as everyone's making it yeah. out to be. Mm-hmm. So thankfully after he gets knocked out cold, he wakes up in the medica and it's none other than Mola. The oh, Raylar. The first words out of his mouth are, what time is it? I love that! Because, <laughs> of course, he wants lunch to make his demo. Yes. Uh, but Mola, I love Mola, because she's very, like... She's type A, but practical. She's very type A, yeah, but, like, is very good at what she does mm. because of it. Respects. I don't know, I just feel like it's interesting that Kvothoys ends up with her. Like, she's very... I think she's type A... Slightly because she's a woman in, like, a man's field and has to, like, be very, like... Prove yourself, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. What I thought was interesting, though, too, is that they say the classic dark colors of those who work in the Medica. And the medical field, he, like, in our world works in white. Oh, yeah. Because you can bleach it. Or light blue. Well, like, originally technically white because you can bleach it. I'm wondering when they say dark colors, they talk about, like, navies, blacks, grays? Are they talking about, like, burgundies, reds? Because if there's, like, blood on you, it'll blend in. Like, I'm very interested to see, like, what the applicable I have no idea. They just say dark colors, and then later when they go to meet Ori, it says they, like, she has, like, a dark outfit, because it's her uniform, Mm. and she brings a gray cloak. So... Probably not gray, then. It's probably not gray? I almost picture black, but that's, like, so different from our doctors now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no explanation for it. No, I just thought it was so weird because both of you work in the medical field, so I was like, why does this mean? (laughs) It is beyond our scope. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like there's not that many other cases of uniforms in these books. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. Yeah. Fields that require certain colors. Other than that, people just wear clothes. Yeah. People just kind of Actually, I mean, if we're going to, like, a job outfit, but, like, the, um, the Aiden... They have their, like, mercenary reds that's, and Oh, yeah, that's, leather. like, blood. That makes sense. They yeah. just, he explains it multiple times in the yes, book. Yes. like, the mercenaries wear the red. Like, not all the A.W. No, wear red. the other people wear just, like, clothes. I feel like that's more, like, being, like, a black belt. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's, like, yeah. a, a sign oh, of rank. You earned your armor. Sure. Well, maybe this is similar. Well, this is, like, a same kind of rank, yeah. The colors. It's just know. interesting. I just thought it was so strange to wear, like, dark colors if you work in the medical field. Yes. I just, oh my god, I love this whole part, though, because Mola's kind of just going over everything with him, and, you know, he's like, you know, I seem okay, and he'll a little bit of smoke, but, like, I don't seem, like, too burned. He checks and on Fela he... to immediately. He wants to know, mm-hmm. like, if she was okay. <laughs> and then he lifts up the blanket and goes, ah, I'm in a terrible state of undress. <laughs> yeah. I absolutely love that. And then Simon comes, it's like... Are you naked? He's like, yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I am, but I'm... The, the worst parts are covered. Yeah, yeah, that was great. And I like this whole I also think part. it's interesting that Sim went to bring him clothes and was like, I couldn't find any extra shoes for you. 
And Simon and Will are, like, pretty good friends, but... I think don't he said put... that conversationally. He did, but, I mean, like, they've gone out of their way to, like, help Kvothe before, like, when they told Kilva not to let him work for them anymore because, mm. like, he was too tired and, like, I don't know, I feel like they're really good friends, but I don't think they realize that, like, Kvothe is as destitute as he is because, like, Sim's like, oh, I couldn't find any other shoes, and Kvothe's like, yeah, I only have, I only have one pair. I feel like he's worked so hard to, like... I personally, like, if my friend was like, I only have one pair of shoes and they just got ruined in a fire, I'd be like, let me buy you some new shoes. Especially considering they're both pretty well-to-do, like... They yeah, they're are. both well-to-do, and, like, he lost them doing something heroic. It's not like he lost them doing, like, something stupid, so I feel like I'd just be like, I got prideful. you. Don't worry about it. That's his advice, though. Like, I think they, as being good friends, would consider it. But Kavoth is not the type of person to accept charity. No, but I feel like as a friend, like, you should try. Mm. I feel like at the very least I would offer, Yeah, you know. Yeah. No, of course. It's, I think it's a tough balance for them because they know how easily, like, prideful he can be and, like, bristled. But I do love the whole line where he's like, oh, I hope you found something from my extensive wardrobe <laughs> to pick from, like. But also, like, when when... Sim says he couldn't find a second pair of shoes. Kuvoth is like, it's fine, I've been barefoot before. Like, if I saw a friend say that, I'd be like, holy shit, like, let me buy you some shoes. Yeah. Like, that's not okay. Yeah, that might be the most honest he's been with them about. I think that's, like, the most, like, upfront he's ever been. Ugh, yeah. And, like, it's not like, like I said, like, you lost them in, like, a tragedy. Like, I feel like somebody should help you. Right. Nothing in life is given. No. That's no, I know, but anyway. I think... There's a harsh practicality involved. True. Speaking of which, he decides, despite his little adventure in the fire, to go all the way to Imre. Yeah, he limps in his case way. He just has he these long days. <laughs> this to me is like the saddest. Like, there's always all these chapters where he's like, on my twelfth visit to Imre, I like chalked it up to being like foolhardy. On my sixteenth, I knew I was just being dumb. Where he's like looking for Denna, mm-hmm. and then like now, just like burnt. No shoes. Went through some that, like shit. Like the only limps. thing I would be doing that day is like laying in my bed and feeling sorry for myself. <laughs> like limps to the alien. It's like four in the afternoon. Like the ship's clearly sailed. He's like Diok at the door, but just there's like, like a one percent chance he might see Dana. Yeah, and Diok's like, "You missed your girl." And he's I just feel like, like at that point the best bet is like you'll see her from afar with somebody else. Yeah. Right. Like, oh. they keep saying she's not the kind of girl to stick around. You know? I guess apparently, though, Diog says she waited, like, a full hour for him, so... Yeah. Could be taken Which as a compliment. Which is, like, the best that she could do. But this is where she meets Master her Ash? patron, Master Ash, because Diog says she left with someone, and later Donna confirms that, like, that's the day she met her patron, which... We've recorded our episodes out of order, personally, but we already talked next episode with Jackie about who her patron could be, and one of the options is Brendan from the next book, who plays Tack with both. Oh, interesting. And that's a low-tier theory, but it's That's a like problem, a really, really a common theory online. One. I don't think it is. I think it's Cinder, but I am interested- jovial, I feel like. I agree, too. I also don't think he would be at the Aeolian. Yeah. Because doesn't he live very far away? He lives really, really far away, so unless there's, like, a weird middleman. I don't but know. But it just seems really I strange. Never, I've never heard that theory before. I don't know. I mean, do you have, like, do you have a theory on who you think it is? 
No. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say yes, but no. I just know he's a very creepy dude. I don't even know if, like, he's necessarily a character that's been, been introduced yet in another capacity. Oh. I thought but, it was very much like a scooby thing of, like, remember that person at the very, very beginning you didn't remember? Here he is. I feel like that might, like, happen somewhat in this, in this series, but I, like, I think if you try and do that with every character, because there's some mysterious characters oh, throughout, and, like, just trying to connect all those dots, you might go a little crazy. That's true. I just feel like Ash and Cinder are similar, right. and like the yeah. amount of like mystique he has, and Demma's like, oh, he has a special way of signaling me, and the Shandrian have like special ways, or like special signs that signify like their presence, and there was this whole thing with like next set of chapters with the the wedding going on where the Shandrian show up and like kill everyone, and Demma had to meet him. And then he was asking her all these questions of, like, who was there, how many people are there, and then, like, everyone ends up getting killed except for her. It just seems very sketchy that, like, that doesn't it's seem like Cinder. Brendan would, like, be out in the woods. Like, he's an old man. That seems so unlikely to me. It's interesting, but I think, yeah, like, age is the biggest thing he has going for him. Like, Yeah, like, age and distance are the best right. explanations why maybe it's not him. Yeah, no. I don't... Uh... Without getting too derailed from the plot of the current set of chapters, I think Brendan is an interesting theory, but I don't think in practicality he is Master Ash. I think definitely is one of the Shandrian. I think it's Cinder. There's so many hints that put us in that direction. And frankly, like... Eventually, when there's, like, the big reveal in book three, where I hope it gets revealed who Dennis Patron is, if it's not one of the Shandrian, I will absolutely be flabbergasted. And like, why, why would the Shandrian... As Jackie said, I will throw my books out the window. <laughs> yeah. Why, why would one of them want to be Dennis Patron, though? I think it's more like to she's a pawn. Get, okay. I think she's a pawn. I want to say to get to Kavoth, but at the same time, I also don't think Kavoth is on their radar at this yeah, point. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I genuinely don't have an explanation for it. Okay. But also, like, if I had to pick between the Shandrian and Brendan, who's the more, like, worldly and conniving and omnipotent? Oh, yeah. It's the Shandrian. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Why would, like, an old man from, like, five countries away care? He would. I also feel like Brendan, like, played his role and, like, doesn't need to be connected any further. You know what I mean? Like Agreed. No, I absolutely agree. Yeah. yeah. So, unfortunately, no Denna at the Aeolian. So, anyways, Kavoth decides to just go home. Dag asks if he wants a drink. Kavoth is like, no, I gotta go. Yeah, he's pretty sour about it. right. I've never <laughs> seen it written. <laughs> That's D-O-K. At first I put D-E-O-K, and I was like, that doesn't look right. Nah. Dog. Give it more letters. It's a fantasy book. Right down, right? Diach. Uh, no. No, so Kvothe goes back to Ankers and, like, hears people eave- or, like, through eavesdropping, hears people talking about, like, the fishery fire and someone, like, you know, like, being a savior for this girl and, like, mm-hmm. being a big hero. And it's, like, the first time he, according to him, is a hero. I think through the rumors and gossip, he's been a hero before. Especially with, like, his whipping. Mm. But he says it's first taste of being a hero. I think it's more like, like he's storybook hero. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, he, and he mentions like, Prince Gallant again. Yeah, but he loves it. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> Which, like, he... Classic both. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, like... 
identify with Kapoor so much because I am definitely vain at times. We, I think it might just be like a young male thing, but like we all want those get big moments that are satisfactory where it's like you pull off something cool and you get like the admiration of your peers. And he's absolutely no, I think at that right age. Wants that. Yes. I think everybody has that like influential feeling at a certain age of being like, what if I were famous? Like, what if like I was bigger than like people expected? You know. Mm. And he's he's constantly concerned about his reputation. He talks about it. Oh yeah, all he the time. put so much effort into his effort. Yeah. So anything that you know spins things in his favor or you know looks at him in a favorable light, obviously he's going to see it's a good thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because one thing, and we've talked about this in multiple episodes, that I absolutely love about this whole series is uh, the, like, the legend behind it and the actuality of like turn of events are two very different things. But it's even like the legends of like great heroes, monsters, and things in this world are not like they all stem from like a truthful tale. Yeah. So there's like a grounded weight to it and there's like truth to it. And Kavoth is, like, no different than these fantasy stories within this world. So, whether it's, like, the Shandrian or, you know, Targal and the Great or, you know, all these awesome classic beings in this world, Kavoth is also part of that in a way where, you know, there's all these legends and mystique and then the actuality, like, change of events are, like, not necessarily mundane, but they're not as grandiose as, like, they're portrayed, which is really interesting. Well, I, I think even in our world, like, famous people, because I've, this past year or so, gotten into reading, like, biographies of famous people, I don't think they see themselves as different from regular people. But being a regular person reading their biographies, like, I can see, like, the differences in their behavior that, like, most people wouldn't take like, the perfection to their work or, like, the way they treat their personal relationships as, like, maybe secondary to, like, their craft or, like, the their goals in life is very different. So I think for Kavuth, for him to be like, well, I'm a regular guy and, you know, like, people are treating me like this hero, I really like it, is is kind of different from what some people would do. Like, me personally, like, if I did something right. heroic, I'd be like, oh, no, it's all right. I would downplay like, it so I would much. downplay it. I'd be like, it's okay, everyone. Like, But again, don't I don't, worry I don't about stake it. things on my reputation, really. Like, I think that's really important to him, especially considering that he doesn't have any money, he doesn't have a family, he doesn't have support. Like, he is staking everything on what people think of him. Yeah. And, and so that's, it's that's very the same thing as, like, these biographies I'm seeing is, like, these people have, like, reputations they need to feed. And, like, at the same time, like, they're all such perfectionists to their work that they'll, like, put that above like other people. Like, they'll yeah. sacrifice, like, friendships and relationships, like, for the power of, like, perfecting their their craft. And, like, to be mm-hmm. fair, most of the, the biographies I've been reading have been about, like, rock stars, and they're all, like, cutting down other people in their path mm-hmm. or, like, firing sure. people kind of without remorse mm-hmm. for, like, just bettering, like, their whole situation. Right. And it's it's never for, like, themselves, but they're like, my music had to be better, or, like, my rapport with my fans, like, needs to be this or that, and so, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I think it's just interesting to think of Kavotha as, like, someone who's got that kind of, like, celebrity mindset, but isn't yet a celebrity. Right. Well, I think it's interesting, because, I don't know if this is where this is in the series, again, I haven't read this recently, but oftentimes when he hears stories about him, he'll, like, 
drop in little hints or little like embellishments, you know, and be like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, did you hear this also? But with this one, he, I don't know if maybe it's because the first, he says it's the first time that he's just like kind of absorbing it all. He kind of just like takes it all and he doesn't actually add anything to the stories or, you know, try and change it in any way. It's very much just like a resting on his laurels kind of type. Oh, thing. yeah. yeah. Which I think sure. is interesting. He's obviously not used to all the attention yet. At least not just, you know, this great of a capacity. He obviously likes attention, but... Who loves attention? I can't imagine loving attention. No. Oh I my hate God. getting attention on me. This podcast is about the most attention I ever want. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody will even know your face. Hooray. Uh, I don't know. I'm so vain. I love being the center and of attention. And that's fine. It takes all I'm guys. Emotion. But you're, like, entertaining as a center of attention. Mm. Right. Right. Hey, editing Anna here. Our mic actually cut out for the next couple of minutes while we were recording. Um, so just bear with the bad audio, but it will go back to normal in just a couple of moments. Thanks. Chapter 67, A Matter of Hands. All right, so this chapter is great because Kaboth decides that after he limps his way to office, he's gonna go back to the fishery and check out the damage. And when he gets there, it's like there's nobody there. Ghost town. It's a ghost town. He's like, no one's here. But I'll just go in and do my work. I know. He doesn't take that in. Right. He's like, nobody's here. We just had a disaster. I'm going to finish my blue (laughs) emitter lamp. I'll just keep working. No big deal. I really need that money. No shoes. (laughs) I don't know anyone who's ever taken shop. Imagine, like, primitive shop. And then just have no shoes. Like, Even that's... like chemistry class, it was like wear full length pants, hair's gotta be up, wear long sleeves, wear closed toed shoes. Like you have to be prepared for that. I literally remember in high school we had like chemistry, not even like advanced chemistry. Like yeah, that's what they I'm would say. About. Like anyone who's wearing flip flops, like you can't participate for the day. Like people would story. have to put like gloves over their shoes. Yes, yeah, so it was all like, like weird, yeah. like tricky. <laughs> yeah, it was so weird, so strange. But like Kavoth goes back to make his blue emitters. No shoes, covered in burns, and like he's just kind of like looking around. But it's weird because he's kind of working in like the aftermath of things. Yes. Like everything's ash. There's like broken bits all around, and I just feel like it's gotta be so surreal to be like, "Dum dum, gotta go back to work now." <laughs> There's something like I don't want to. I don't want to quite call it cozy, but like surreal, where it's like disaster just struck, but it's like. This is my place for making things. I'm still gonna make things. Like, there's nothing comforting about it. Yeah. So, Kavolt continues working on his blue emitter lamps, and then he hears Master Kilvin, and then actually goes, approaches him to go talk to him. Yeah, I mean, Kilvin comes in, and Kilvin is is with a giller. Oh, I do love from this. From Master Arwell, the Medica, um, and... Clearly, like, there's, like, a conflict because... He's, like, fussing over his bandages on his hands, and he's like, shoo, like, get away from me. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, personally, I feel like is me. Like, oh, I'm fine, leave me be. Right. Like, I'll just heal on my own. Like, ugh, I'm gonna do my thing. It's also funny, because Kavoth is clearly like, this giant of a man, and I just picture him as, like, big and burly, being like, leave me alone. Like, and this poor little person being like, but you're being right, like, yeah, like, running after him, like, it's my job. <laughs> it's my job, I have to help you. As two medical professionals in the room, we're both like, yeah, we get that guy. Like, <laughs> ensuring patient safety, yes, right, yes. yes. 
So I think it's just funny that um, this poor person is like trying to help him and he's like, leave me be. And I absolutely love this turn of events because like, ah, young Kavut, I want to speak with you. I also love that they just keep saying like, Lin Sattva. Like, yes. it's come up a couple times and I think it's just like the like, enough of the Siaru language or like, okay. But I just really like the word like, Lin Sattva. Like they've said it a couple times now. Mm. So or Kilvin's like, no more. So, phonetically, it's very satisfying. Like, Linsvatva. Like, enough. Like, <laughs> we're done here. <laughs> and so as soon as he shakes off the gear, he's like, Kvoth, I have to speak to you. Like, come into my office. And I love this whole, like, dialogue because the first time reading it, I felt as Kvoth is feeling in this, like, moment where he's like, what is wrong with you? What is your state of undress? You're in the fishery. No shoes. What is going on? Is like he's like pretty much ever been in, tr- in trouble at work or yeah. at school? It's like um, what? <laughs> he's like, no, I am just fucking with you. Yeah, like, like <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> but it's also like he messes with him about his shoes, and he's also like. I found your lamp. We've spoken about this. You can't have your lamp lying about. It goes into the wrong hands. Like. And Kelvin is like definitely one of the people who like sees through Kavos like bullshit of oh, like yeah. being having this like large like reputation. So so Kavos is like, I'm so sorry, Master Kelvin. Like, they took me away. Like, I have nothing to say for myself. But very that. clearly flustered and like, mm. oh, I did so, not realize we were gonna have this conversation. So yes. flustered. I think he thought he was going to get in there and like, be praised and like, oh, Kavoth, you're so great. Right. Oh. Uh, He's which very Kilvin-like. <laughs> oh, Kavoth, you're so great. <laughs> <laughs> which actually is ends, with, ends up what's happening. So Kilvin's just kidding. I think Kilvin's on a lot of pain medications in this situation. <laughs> I know, because it's like... Because his mood is like bonkers. He's like, I'm really mad at you. Ha <laughs> ha, just kidding. The seriousness joking but like his tone is like confusing and and, and as Kavod he's like I don't know what's happening right now <laughs> well, like classic Kilvin he has his like moral code but he's also trying to make being lighthearted because here's the whole thing and I this dialogue this interaction with Kilvin is probably one of my favorite like and I literally will put it under the umbrella parent teacher conference but like it's <laughs> perfect because it's like he's elated because even though the whole thing at the fishery was a disaster and he quite literally uses the word disaster it struck like several years after his saying where disaster strikes every seven years Mm -hmm. and despite all this it wasn't too bad no students were heavily injured the worst person that was injured was himself which is like in his own words is rightly so like being the master of like this like fabrication hall like it should fall to me to sustain the worst injuries, but the worst of it wasn't that bad. The and facility he will knows endure. That's because of Kavoth. So he's he, like, thanks. Yeah, Kavoth yeah, saved, saved so a much. fellow student. A fellow student? Failing. But, um, oh. <laughs> that was really bad. I'll just see myself. Uh, okay, so to like jump from that bad joke, <laughs> you this love is it. where we get the first iterance of the word coat, which is Kavoth's cover name. Yes! Mm-hmm. And this is what I wanted to talk about. So the yes. saying is Shandvein Edan Kot, which is seven years something 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 danger. Okay. 
as Phoebe just pointed out, coat is capitalized in the same. Which could be, because I've been taking German on Duolingo, because I've been trying really, really hard to learn a second language, in that language, all nouns are capitalized. I don't know if the same is in Skyrim, But in this case, Shanvein would be like seven years, Edan would be the verb, and coat would be the noun, so it would be capitalized again. But it's also like capitalized because it's his name coat, which means danger, but is whether or not he's picked that for himself is a very interesting question. Is it spelt the way he goes by? Mm-hmm. So that's fascinating on multiple accounts, and I don't mean And I've missed that. I've missed that on multiple readings. And I have just picked that up recently. So, like, these books are full of tiny details that you miss on your first or second reading. But the fact that, like, it's a word he knows in Siaru means danger. Well, he didn't know it meant it. Does it mean danger? Yeah. Disaster. 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 I, oh, after this, he knows what it means. I think he's purposefully picked it for himself, and we are reading a to be bunch dramatic. of... Oh my God. <laughs> I'm a disaster. My life is a disaster. No, but there's... My like, name is Disaster. <laughs> there's, like, a, a beauty in, like, the depression of that, because it's, like, as we know, Kavoth, as an older adult, he's lost everything. He just is, like, decaying at the waistone in. And when I first was encountering these books and reading it, I was like, oh, Coat. Coat is a form of Kavoth. He's a shell of his former self, just a fraction of it. So, like, Coat is only, like, bits and pieces of what Kavoth was meant to be. And, like, that's beautiful and sad because the way and state of himself now, he's only a shell of his former self. But now, in Siaru, Coat being disaster... I mean, being melodramatic, of course, and Kavoth being, like, the biggest drama queen we've ever known, like... Oh, I'm such a drama queen. <laughs> like, I am a disaster. <laughs> like, the world in his current time at the Waystone Inn is in disaster. Like, it's very fitting. So, there's just multiple layers to that identity, which is just awesome. Mm-hmm. I will say, there was a fan theory we discussed earlier where Kavoth has because he's such a powerful namer, has re-given himself the name Coat, and the only person who can give him back his name, potentially, is Chronicler. But the only way you can rename something as complex as a human is if you know their whole story, which is why Chronicler is trying to get his whole story, so he can give him back his name. Oh, that's awesome. Right? It's really cool. Oh, man. Imagine, (laughs) though, like, that's how it ends, like, Come book three, if it ever comes out, please. I hope it comes out. But he, like, yeah, we also, we also read a, a theory arrow that said book three is like non existent on purpose. Oh, I don't want to hear oh, that. Oh man, don't even. <laughs> it was a horrible thing. How theory. long could Rathus like keep up that charade though? Like, I don't know. People are gonna go, <laughs> oh yeah, it's gonna keep coming out. Oh yeah, like 20 years later. No, but imagine how like intense that would be. Like, book three, the world's a state of disaster that it is. Chronicler hears his whole story and then like. Hands his name back to him and is like, "You are Kavoth. You have work to do." Thrice locked chest opens up, turns ah. to boss and is like, "Yo, let's go. like let's get big. We got work to do." Like that'd be the perfect ending for the like the original three. I know. Books. 
Like, oh, man. yes, so good. we would love a whole nother installment post that, but, like, even if we got that... I don't know if, like, my heart can take that, like, kind of... I feel like it'd be so much to include in one book, even if it is the last book, and there's usually, like, the longest, but, like, to tell the rest of his story, you know, as he's telling it chronically. But then also like, have the present day, all that has to go down after that. That book like, has got to be, like, two dozen book. pages long. It's going to be Which, so I mean, big. I would read it, but... Oh, I'll read it. But, like, if you think about, like, how much time is in each of these books, it's... The first book is... Generously a year and a half, two years. Yeah. Oh, no, actually, no. Because if we go back to The Suffering in Tarbian, that's three years. Okay. At the very, very most... So six years. Five to six years. Yeah, five to six years. The second book is even less. Yeah, the second book's like a year and a half, two years at the most. Right. So for him to catch up from where the second book ends to where the current outer plotline is is 13 years 12 to 15 years of time and there's some very important things that happen it's not like clearly a king dies the fey realm gets a mix with the mortal realm like how does he meet boss like i have a lot of questions what's behind that door (laughs) tell me what's behind that that door (laughs) there's heavy illusions that denna is not around yeah could be like foreshadowing boss did say he had seen her She's always talked about in past tense. So it's either they've had a falling out or she's no longer with us, like, living. Things to speculate for sure. Could be paralleling, like, the Lonry Lyra story of, like, one has died and one is mourning. Mm. Ugh. Anyway. (laughs) Before we go too far down. (laughs) I know, the rabbit hole. Um, Kilvin gives him the phrase of, like, disaster strikes every seven years. Code just slipped in there, yada yada yada. Boop, 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 boop. Sorry, we discussed that. Um, There's also the like um, parallel to Kabo's life, though. I was reading about things online where it's kind of like approximately every seven years, given you know you don't know the exact age of everything that happens, but like a huge disaster happens in Kabo's life approximately every seven years. <gasps> Wait, what happened when he was seven? How old was he when when the Chandrian thing went down? And... Well, and if it's every multiple of seven, I'd say fourteen. Because mm, he's, was, he's about 16, 15, 16 right now. He spent a year to have her many in He might have been a little bit older than seven. So, like, ten. But this is a very lax rule. Obviously, Kelvin said we're way overdue for this. I'm just saying what I read online. It seemed to be approximately every seven years lined up. No, how no. long did you... How old did you guys think he was when he was in Tarpeen? He was... It was literally around, like, ten to thirteen. Okay. I'd agree with that. And yeah. then, like... I mean, we can, like, embellish 11 to 14, 15 at university, so on. But that makes sense, because... There's also a good chance that, like, if you're living on the streets, you don't have a good sense of time. No, of course. And so, his next great disaster, in my mind, yes, there's all these things that happen in university, but to me, his next great disaster is book two, with the false Edema Rue. I think that Um. is his actual big disaster, because... Not with the bandits? There's killing in an altruistic sense where he's like, I'm on the mayor of Alvaron's coin. I'm doing the greater good. I'm cleaning the highways of bandits. This, it's like, you're impersonating my family. You raped young girls. Like, I'm murdering like, every single last one of you. People. No one is left. I brand your dead bodies because you impersonated my family. Like, Spoiler. that is emotional disaster. Like, It's fine. This podcast is full of spoilers. Great. <laughs> like, to me, like, as Kavoth as a character, that is, like, the next great disaster. Actually, I, feel, I take it back I to Kavay. Like 
the cafe is probably the next oh, disaster. Because I was going to say, when he's, like, framing the person for poisoning Mayor Alvaron. Can you like, frame? The he mi- did. There's the mystery of, like, is both right or is he wrong? And, like, everything's up in the air. Like, that could mm. be a disaster, too. The second book is full there's of disaster. There's a reason disaster. his name is Coke. <laughs> disaster. So he's, he's just one All disaster. disaster. <laughs> I'd say it's and either... And then as soon as Dana gets involved, goddamn, is it a disaster. Oh, man. She's, I'd say it's yeah. either between the cafe or the false edema rupture, but those are two major disasters post-OG yeah. disaster of his family being slaughtered. But then what is disaster? The Pharaoh. It'll probably be the Pharaoh. So his mid-twenties. Somehow a king will die, the Pharaoh gets opened up, the Skrill gets unleashed, and shit hits the fan. And then maybe the fourth disaster is, like, in the current framework of, like, this reopening with the Skrail or coming after him. Certainly seems like something's impending, you know? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. That's why I think there's going to be a second trilogy. There's gotta be. There's, like, the way too outer much. framework is, like, He's got, like, in. about five dozen things to tie up in this last book, and I don't see it That's happening. what I mean. It's got to be, like, a 2,000-page book. Right. Like, I don't yeah, understand how it can be any shorter. Right. Anyway. All right. We're getting back to the chapter now. <laughs> Oh, but this part, this interaction with Kilden's right, so good because so good. they kind of just lay their cards on the table where Kilden's like, disaster strikes every seven years, and like, despite how bad it was, it wasn't so bad. And so Kilden was like, talk me through your process. Like, you got fail out safely, but like, how was my drench destroyed? Well, he doesn't even realize that Kavok did that yet. Oh, please correct me then. Oh, no, no, no. It was just like... Kavoth is more concerned about, like, getting in with Kilvin. Mm. So Kilvin is like, I have, like, disaster going on, and I have, like, I found your things here that shouldn't have been here, so Kavoth's already, like, flustered. Turns out Kilvin's joking, but it's kind of, like, an odd situation. And Kavoth offers, ends up offering, like, his hands as, like, workman's hands. Oh, that was oh, great. Yeah. For Kelvin, which I think is actually interesting because Kelvin's like, there are too many things that would be unwise. He knows too advanced sigildry for Kavolt to actually supplement his hands to his works, which is really cool. But I also think it's interesting because everyone is like, Kavolt is too brash and too, like, assuming as a person he shouldn't know certain things. Like, right. he doesn't have... He, he shouldn't have that ability yet. And I like that, though, because he kind of pushes it slightly. He's like, well, if you're promoting me to Ray Lar, we can make this happen. And he's like, like, in due time. He's like, ha ha ha, no. Right. Not. That was kind of like the couple uh, last episode with... um Lauren. Thank you, Master Loren, where he's like, anything I can do to get admittance back into the archives, he's like, just show patience, stop being you. <laughs> Like, <laughs> calm down. Calm down. <laughs> calm the F down, dude. Like, that is not his, his forte. No. But then I feel like there's definitely like a moment of mutual respect because Kelvin is like, all right, how did you say Fela? Or it's like people say this happened, but what actually happened? Yes. So at the same, so Kelvin's like, how did you say Fela? Kelvin's like, well, how did you put the fire under? So they both have kind of like agreed to reveal their secrets. And. Kvothe says he heard that Kilvin did it quickly and easily. And Kilvin is like, quickly. But not easily. But not easily. And so they go about explaining what happened. Kvothe goes out and says, you know, I ended up doing sympathy on your twice tough glass. What you, what I have wrought, I can destroy. Mm -hmm. And what I think is cool is Kilvin's like, 
I rot these glass things. Like, these are super strong. Therefore, Kvothe has to be insanely fucking strong. But I like There's this. no way he can just be a regular artificer or a regular sympathist. Well, and he's also a level of recklessness, right? Where he's like, he feels like he can do it. In his head, he can do it, so he does it. And somehow it works out for him always, but he's like... It's not proven. Right. Yeah. Like Good point. Good point. I think in the the chapter, he says like, oh, people say like, use it an object to basically break the glass. And Kilvin's like, this glass is my own devi- uh, design. It's twice tough. Like, I've created this glass. And he's like, well, I know the sigildry behind twice tough glass. What I've wrought, I've been destroyed. And... He basically explains to Kilvin that he used sympathy, used a sympathetic binding to destroy the glass, and he's like, that was and really reckless. And then he lightly hints because he uses that blood. he uses blood as a binding. Like, he doesn't say it outright, but like he's like, that's what I've done. He basically shows his hand, quite literally, and Kilvin's like, that was very reckless, and he's like, well, my options were limited. And Kilvin's all respects. He's like, dude, damn. But okay. And then I go back to the office and Kilvin is like, I had this like heat. It's a fire trap. A heat eater. Yeah. Like a heat trap, I which. don't understand what those are. It be- I'm fascinated by the idea of them. From what I understand, somehow it is quite literally a container that is able to be stored heat, but he like heat describes vacuum. it in like. Yeah. Either like, like 180 like thousands. Like. Oh no. Million thumbs. But the best part is is it's a measurement of heat. And I love that the contraption is I'm pretty sure those are a real measurement in our world. Yeah, he's like second degree burns like all over his hands and he's like, I was able to not call the name of fire, but use sympathy to store it in this device which also quantifies like the heat index that was stored and he's like quickly but not easily like hence mm-hmm. my hands and like Kavolt is super impressed because he's like the slippage alone like the amount mm-hmm. of like bindings necessary because he killed him basically T-H-A-U-L-M-S because according to Google a thaum is a unit of measurement actually made up in a Terry Pratchett fantasy novel oh interesting T-H-A-U-L-M as soon as I see the word, I'll let you know. Anyway. I also want to bring up the whole part with Jackson in a moment. Anyway, so he has clearly, like, absorbed, like, an exorbitant amount of heat into this, like, heat capturer. But I think what is cool is Kilvin has clearly also used blood magic in this situation because he's, like, quickly, not easily, and holds up, like, his, like, bloodied and bandaged hands... As proof, and like that's kind of how the scene ends. Thumbs. T H A U M S. Yeah, so that was what I said is it's not a real unit of measurement, it's a unit of magic from a different hmm. fantasy world. Interesting. Could just be something he made up. It sounds it sounds realistic. It does. It does. I think he likes to make you know, use words that sound real but aren't, you know. Yeah. A quantifiable kind of... notion. I mean anything in the millions is is a lot. I mean, yeah, it's implied. Like a stupid amount of heat, but there's two really, really awesome things I want to take away from this whole interaction. One, there's like a bro respect where each character had 
in order to give up something physically in order to save the day. Kvothe with his blood, taking a risky hit with breaking the toy stuffed glass, enduring burns and other injuries to save Fela. Kilvin sacrificing quite literally second degree burns on his hands in order to save the fishery and like do very advanced sympathy due what to his lack of knowledge cool. of uh, the name of fire. What were you going to say? Let's see, what I think is cool is like because of using blood as, like, a sympathetic binding, I think you have a balance against your body size. Mm. And obviously Kilvin is, like, a fucking giant. Like, he's just, like, a built dude. Like, he's huge. <laughs> and Kvothe is, like, a skinny little guy. So for the two of them to be able to, like, go toe-to-toe with the Respects. same level of power, like, I think this is one of the first time this... Like, and the Kilvin's always been, like a supporter of Kavoth and been on his side when it comes to, like, supporting his progress through the university. But I think this is the first time that he's been like, holy shit, like, this kid is really powerful. Right. He he carries his own, for sure. Yeah. But he also is still, like, pump the brakes, boy. Like, yeah. you'll learn when you'll learn. And yeah. he's not just, like, promoting well, I think, him. I think that's the thing, too, is, like, knowing someone's so powerful and being like, mm. Right, there's make sure they know how to like control that power. Yeah, exactly, and he sets limits. That's why when Kavoth kind of like oversteps and is like, "I could be your hands for you if you promote me to Raylar and teach me more like intense bindings for Sigildred." He's like, "You're not ready, kid." Right, which is like a humbling moment. One thing I just want to pepper in before we wrap up this chapter, which is. There's very few side characters that get, like, a spotlight on talent moment, but Jackson, like, despite his faux pas of being, like, if it's cold, like, whatever, like, he was way too, like, tired before. He did have, like, the earnesty to go to Kilvin and be like, you know, Kavolt did say something about it, but I disregarded it, like... For what it's worth, he was, like, on the money for it, so... I give him a lot of credit for doing that, because there's no reason he had to say that, and being, like, significantly more promoted in the fishery than Kavoth, there's absolutely no reason he had to ever say anything, and he would have just been fine if he'd said nothing. So for him to be very honest and be like, look, Kavoth told me that it was probably too cold, and I disregarded it. To show a certain amount of character that... Yeah, like have to find a good like, a good doobie. To be fair, I probably wouldn't have said anything. No, I would have just been like <laughs> I, would I, would, I wouldn't have said anything bad or good. I would just no, like, I would have just said nothing. Uh, Walk no, away. No, I would yeah. have just said nothing. So it quite the chapter quite literally ends with uh, Kilden reiterating quickly, but not easily, mm-hmm. explaining how he removed the heap in the fishery safely, which brings us to our next chapter. Chapter 68, The Ever-Changing Wind. And the way we start this chapter is just perfect. Like, life is like, tossed a really rough hand for Kavoth. He's always nervous due to his poverty, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And quite literally, he is shoeless. So he is just trudging his way through the day, barefoot, cloakless, thinking grim thoughts about life. and real just pity party. Have, yeah, just he's having a poopy diaper. He's just like <laughs> so miserable and upset. The whole like allure of like playing hero like it was so short-lived. Like cool, but now it's like dude like... Such a life lesson. Yeah. It was clearly worth it, but this is what it gets you. Like the harsh reality of right, things. Right. Wait, I think he's realizing that reputation... 
Doesn't pay the bills. No, it literally doesn't. And so, like, his poverty is ever more present. Like, he's so, so low on funds. He has no shoes, no cloak. It's, like, mid-fall. Like, things are hurting. I will say, he does have... He's always saying, I don't have any family. Like, I don't have any support. He's constantly being offered support from his friends or from masters and, you know, colleagues, whatever, and he just doesn't take it. He just internalizes everything and is like, this is my struggle to bear. Like, it's, I have to bear this cross, you know? It definitely is his, like, cross to bear. And, like, even now, like, he's having, like, the glass, like, half full, and, or, like, grass is greener on the other side, where he's like, Simon comes from nobility, like, his family can help him out. Willem comes from uh, a wealthy merchant family, you know, they can borrow against credit against their family name, or, like, if they need to, they can write from home. I have no safety net. Like, I am on my own. True. But it's also, like, if you weren't so proud, you could go to your friends. But it's also a double-edged sword because that's, like, how you destroy friendships if you borrow. So, like, I understand the position he is in. However, he is just max load having a poopy diaper about it. Like, <laughs> just miserable. No shoes. Like... Just so frustrated with life. And so... So he literally goes, the only thing that can cheer me up is Denna. Literally. Oh, my God. That's the definition of a toxic relationship. Right. Like, man, you were placing all of your eggs in one basket. And, like, his friends are even, like, dude, like, we'll get you, like, theater seats to see, like, three pennies for something on there. It's, like... Yeah. Like, they they just want to pay for a play, like, like, some entertainment. His friends, like can afford to buy him shoes like right yeah obviously nobody wants mm. to beg but like i feel like as good friends they should just and they clearly don't mind helping him out they've done it in every other way besides financially like it's just complete pride like just like buy him shoes and be like here you go right yeah you don't have to make a big deal out of it just put them on his doorstep and don't say anything like just right Argh. yeah i mean and he, he does get a little bit of money he said in this at the beginning so yeah but this is still very odd. So he obviously goes to the alien looking for Denna. Mm-hmm. No, but this whole part was unexpected, but in my opinion, very satisfying as a read. I agree. People just kind of a dick about it, but whatever. He's not a, uh, <laughs> He's salty because life's dealt him a harsh hand. No. He becomes a, a piece of shit because he... <laughs> no, no, set the record straight. No, no. <laughs> no, no. Remember when Bela's being nice to him right. and he sees Denna walking away and he's... Super unappreciative. Super mean uh, about it. Well, let it play out. All right. <laughs> so, he goes to the alien. He like, stomps to the alien barefoot. <laughs> <laughs> he stomps the alien barefoot. Deok says... Someone's waiting for you. His and heart he jumps into his mouth. He's like, oh, yeah, Den is here. My woo. It's not. It's Fela. To be fair, he is excited to see her. He is. No, he. he's a very good sport about this whole situation until a certain point. There's some also really good foreshadowing in this conversation I want to bring up at a moment, but continue. Okay, so Fela's like excited to see him. She runs up to him. And he's, like, a little bit worried that she's going to be, like, a little too emotional. But she, she, almost she keeps her cool. Him. She keeps her cool. He, like, kind of slides in the conversation that, like, she's actually very beautiful. Because she has this, like, bruise across her, like, high and elegant cheekbones. 
So he apologizes because he's like, oh my god, did I drop you? Well, it's, it's been dropped in, like, multiple, like, chapters. Like, she's, like, the babe of, like, the university where, right. like, yeah, she girl, is. girls are, like, overpowered to guys. Like, it's, like, three to one. Like, so if there's an attractive girl, like she's, like, the spotlight. Five to one. Yeah. yeah. And it's a bunch of PC nerds being like, a girl! Like... <laughs> That's, mm, I think it's more like a bunch of Ambrose being like, I have money. <laughs> <laughs> I have money. A girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not wrong. <laughs> no, you're not at all. You're not right at all. You're not right at all. And then there's also like girls like Mola, who I think is very like business-like. And is the guys it? don't know what to make of her because yeah. she's like, I'm here to learn. Like She's actually at school to learn. What a concept. Oh my God, a girl who wants to learn? <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> They do have an interesting conversation, though, about, like... They do. Like, Vela goes on in about, like, storybooks, and she's, like, always saying how... Why doesn't the, the damsel in distress save herself? And then she's like, oh, I oh. was that damsel in distress. And then I didn't. Right. I kind of feel conflicted about the situation, because it's it's very much breaking the third wall of, like, where you're saying Vela's, like, normally the damsel in distress, she makes me mad, and I wish she'd saved herself. But then I didn't do it anyway. Right. And I'm like, oh, maybe you should have just saved yourself. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. It's making you feel like she feels. I know. But Kabel's also very gracious about it. He's like, look, I was there to help, not save. Yeah, Without he... me, you still would have been okay. But, like, I'm glad I, where I, I was where I was when I was. Right. So, to, like, break the fourth wall with this, I really enjoy the fact that it wasn't like the t- like t- old time tale of like damsel in distress. He was like, "Your hands are not maiden's hands. You literally work hard in the fishery, like crafting things. You're a smart, independent. You're a smart, independent woman. You need no man, but like, <laughs> you literally like have your shit together. Like you're a very very independent person. I was glad I was there to able to help you get out of harm's way, but you didn't need me to save the day. You're smart." But I also enjoy the fact that, like, her being a cognizant, like, independent character was, like, as much as all of my education has afforded me in, the, like, my flight or flight moment in, like, when shit hit the fan, I froze, which is, like, a very realistic thing for people to have happen. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like, even for me, like, not gonna go into details, but, like, sometimes, like, trauma disaster strike in an operating room and, like... There's been times I'm like, oh shit, like, time to, like, snap in. And, like, it's not always as fast as we wanted to, like, snap in. However, like, for Fela, she had this moment and was kind of paralyzed by fear, which is a very realistic thing. And she's, like, berating herself. It's something people can identify with. It's like, we're not all perfect. We're not all going to have our Prince Gallant moment where it's, like, disaster strikes. We're like okay, here's my escape route, X, Y, Z. Like, sometimes life, like, overpowers us. So I like that Kavoth doesn't, like, rub any dirt in the wound. He's just like, you are fully capable. You could have done it on your own. However, I'm glad I could help you. And it's, like, not, I'm glad I could save you. I'm glad I could help you. I think it starts off with him looking really good because he's, like, concerned about Fela and her health and then... You know, he's talking to her about all these things, like, it's not your fault, like, 
and then it just quickly dies into Oh, I see Dunn and never mind, I'm gonna run away. Oh, that part's hard. But, because but it also it starts to go downhill because he goes, This isn't a maiden's hand. And I think what he means is like this isn't the hand of someone who's helpless. Like, helpless. But I think it has a double entendre of like him being like, This isn't a virgin's hand, and that's why she goes, I what? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> and so she's like, What are you talking about? <laughs> Explain yourself. Yeah, literally. Explain yourselves. But yeah, and then like immediately it devolves into him being like, this isn't the hand of someone who like couldn't help themselves. Like I, I meant this is someone who is like a strong and powerful woman, like can like yeah, he manage clearly, their own situation. He clearly meant it as like an empowering thing. He did, but then His he, like, he sucks, kisses but... her hand and she's all like swoony for a moment. Ugh. I don't think she's doing it in the context of like Hmm, you're my brave, strong man. I think it's just like, dude, like, you quite literally, there was an oh shit moment. I panicked, you saved me, so like. Right. She does say that she asked Will and Sim, like, what to give Kavoth, and they offer a cloak with, like, lots of little pockets in it. Which, like, like dead boys, because that's, like, a they, guilty little secret. They know, they know it's up. They're like, yo, great. give him a cape with a hood. And throwing a bunch of little friggin' pockets. Like, <laughs> so many pockets. Weird cloak. Okay, now add a bunch of pockets. Like, like too many pockets. <laughs> to be fair, Plus, though. Like, have you ever been not excited by pockets? Oh my god, yeah. I mean, if I could wear cloaks with pockets. I wore, like, work pants the other day, and they were, like, work, like, trousers. Like, fancy, like, work pants. And I was like, they have no pockets. No. Ah. <laughs> my little things. I didn't know where to... I had to, like, carry them all in my hands. It was such a pain in the butt. <laughs> where are you going to carry all your sympathy, Like, back cargo shorts. <laughs> okay, you need, need a more now. <laughs> I'll see myself out. Excuse me, however. But the oh cool God. thing about this whole thing is Fela has given very due consideration with her gift to Kavol. She gave him a really nice, like, emerald, emerald green cloak. She notices how his eyes are green to match his cloak. And his eyes change change color. Depending on his mood. And so one thing I really appreciate is the fact that it's brought up on multiple occasions, but even now, like, Kavoth is, like, in the middle of, like, admiration from Fela, who's a beautiful woman. She's like, oh, wow, like, how green your eyes are. But at that very moment... Who strolls into the bar and he doesn't even catch like the full profile. It's like a, he catches like a nanosecond glimpse. She's like, oh, it's Dana. That's <laughs> sixth sense. And he literally says, like, I know her profile as well as I know the back of my hand. Where there's like a beauty and also No, but it's also like I mean you know certain people, like there's very few people in your life where like your brain locks on and like has a calculated like description of and so for him, Denna is one of those people. And so there's such a bittersweet with this where in my mind, I want to play it off as like, Kavoth has a good like poker face and is like, things are fine. But like, clearly he's like distraught because Denna pops into the alien, vaguely sees Kavoth as like, Fela's like doting on him, puts his cloak on him, is like fitting him and like being close to him. And he's like, fuck, I'm hurting it. Like, this is not what I want. I want Dena. Like, I think that's like kind of serves Dena right though, because I I don't care for her, and she has seen Kavoth. Well, she's been on dates with other people. Mm, and he's just agreed. had to deal with it. Right. 
That's and true. so for him to be in the company of someone who's not even on a date with him, but like... I mean, that's also a toxic relationship, like, right? Like, you can't, like, have female friends or something, you know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like, it's absolutely a toxic relationship because, like, he doesn't want her to have male friends and she doesn't want him to have female friends. And that's obviously, like, major red flags for anybody in that situation. And um, instead of coming over and being like, hello, she just, like, runs out and is like, nope. I and do I don't this. think that's don't necessarily the approach, but that's what we're given. Yeah. I think in a different scenario, she could have come over and been like, hey. And Kabuki could have just been like, hey, this is my friend Fela. We work at the fishery together. Like, we both experienced this hor- horrible tragedy, like, in this disaster. Hi, this is my good friend Fela, who's beautiful. I rescued her from a fire. Good, <laughs> yourself. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? That's- no, but I could be like, hey, this is my friend Fela. We both just, like, experienced this, like, insane disaster at the the fishery, and, like, we got through this fire together, and, like... I'm Wizard not, school like, problems, you know? Like... Wizard's chess. Could he not have also been, like... <laughs> could he also not have been, like, I will be back in one minute, I just want to go, like, say five words to this person that ran out? And that's like, a funny thing with Kabul. I, I think it's the essence of him being a 15 to 16-year-old boy. That's true. Like, I have I very different that. expectations from him as a reader because I want him to be, like, all-worldly and... He's articulate and also inarticulate at the same time. He has these moments of, like, get big, like, do cool things, and then, like, he'll have these moments of, like, and it's, like, it's interesting because he's a very intelligent person, and I think that's what makes him relatable because as much of the cool moments he has, he also has, like, these dink moments that it's, like, we've all been there. Yeah, so I think true. this is just another relatable moment. So, well, like he always says, he has no experience with women. I know, which is also and like wholesomely appreciated, especially because with this dialogue right now, being a male, like I felt like in my like early dating years, like there was like the idyllic like who you're supposed to be, and in reality, and like. There's so much, like, And in reality, I just wanted you to be you. I know, of course. And, shocking. Like, and that's shocking. the funny thing. Like, so shocking. Spoiler alert, like, I any like young you male, you. like, listening to this podcast, dude, just be you. It's all going to fall like, place. for it. <laughs> Whatever. Be confident in you. You don't have to be anything special. Like, you as a human being will shine through. However, him and Fela are having this great moment. And then, like, Dana, like, shows up and walks by, and, like, even Fela noticed, like, you okay? Like, you're having, like, a no-shit moment. He's like, it's fine. Everything's fine. And I love this foreshadowing moment, and we always have spoiler alerts, but, like, at this point, you guys kind of know what's good at this, like, realm. Oh, no, it's Fela has been talking to Kavoth about Elodin and how he's been, like, approaching her... And taking her under his wing, and she hasn't outright mentioned that he's talking about naming with her. However, in this chapter, she's setting some intense groundwork because she does a lot of pottery and, like, clay formation in the artificery, which is, like, a form of earth. So she clearly has, like, a connection or appreciation for the craft, and Elodin has taken her under his wing and, like has these weird lessons. She hasn't gone into any 
uh, detail about what these lessons or interactions are about. However, most of us know if we've read uh, Name of the Wind and then Wise Man's Fear, he's around behind the scenes grooming her for naming, and that's why she eventually becomes proficient enough where she knows the true name of Stone. And so that's really awesome and really cool where upon the first read, like, that's not even on your radar. And on the second read, like, maybe. But for me, like, on the third read, I was like, holy shit, like, that's really fascinating. The fact that the way the story's portrayed, like, Kavoth seeks out Elodin. Elodin wants nothing to do with Kavoth and then begrudgingly takes him on. Is like, okay, like, you've earned it. You're my spot. Where in reality, there's other students in Elodin's scope that he's like, you know what? You have a knack for this. Like, I want you on my team. Like, it breaks the paradigm that's Kavoth of, like, being the best. Always the first pick. I'm yeah. the chosen one. We're like, dude, like, there's other people in this mix that are also very gifted and so this is that first really interesting little spotlight moment for Fela that she's more than just a pretty face or a skilled student like she has a capability of naming that even though she doesn't realize it yet Eldon's recognizing her talents and grooming her towards that right right now she just thinks he's crazy and doesn't really understand why she's doing anything she's doing. Exactly. And what's that, like, hint, though? She was like, oh, that's crazy. He woke up in the night. We do this, we do that. And then she, all of a sudden, she's like, he did... Never mind. Yeah. I couldn't tell if it was, like, sexually inferred or if it was just, like, an I embarrassing moment. I don't know what it was. It made me uncomfortable. Mm. Like, as a young woman with, yeah, like, yeah, older, the connotations older were male professor darker. situation was, like... Not cool. And it could have been more innocent than that, but yeah, the fact that it was so big. Based upon the connotations, do you guys think of something sinister? I mean, like, we're all allowed our opinions and thoughts, so I was just curious. It it, it could be. I don't necessarily think it was. It was, like, vaguely implied. It wasn't not implied, you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. It wasn't not implied. I think, hopefully, Elodin is doing just, like, weird and strange naming things. But, but, like, why wouldn't she but, relay it to Kvothe? No, yeah. that's fair, because... It's, e- it's either uh, such a secret, she doesn't want to relay it, or... But it's, like, it's not the vibe I get from Elodin or anything, like... In no, my own mind, I got vibe, the vibe of, like, wacky like, weirdo. As a, right. as a woman who, like, knows that, like, there are certain men who can be weird, and you wouldn't expect it. I don't want to disregard it in the situation and the book of just being, like... Oh, that's a load in. Right. He's right. funky and weird. He so, gets like, a lot for that. He could be very strange. We don't know. No, that's Hopefully fair. Hopefully he's not, because I want to see him, in my mind, as, like, an interesting and fascinating... Mysterious mis- character. Like, character who has, like, a lot of mental capabilities who can pass his knowledge on to others. I don't want to be, like, a sexual or predatory or, like, power dynamic in any way. So, hopefully it's not that. To me, within my scope of reading this, and granted, being a male of a different context and thought process with it, I thought it was, like, he even, and it would just go as far as, like, tapping on her window at, like, three in the morning and being, like, 
it's a quarter quell moon and the earth is ripe. Like, you need to be outside. Like, well, she already yeah. said he knocked on her window in the middle of the night. Right. And so, so, so like, if, if he was going to do something that she didn't want to say, it's going to be something weird. It's just, unfortunately, where, I guess, female minds, or at least our minds went to. Yeah, I was like, uh-oh, danger zone. Right. No, and that's fair. If they're swapping stories, like, there's few things you don't really talk about when you're just joking about them, you know? No, that's yeah. fair. Not necessarily, not confirmed at all, just, you know. Just what ifs. And that's the beauty of the podcast. You can just totally bring things up. Like, to I'm not, not going to shy away from the topic, but I also don't want to make it all about that topic. No, no. Very ambiguous. So. So, Kavoth and Phaler, like, going on about Elodin and classes and everything else. And then Kavoth realizes, like, oh, shit. The fire happened, a lot of it drained underneath, it could have went to the other thing, what's going on with Ari? Yeah, so Samola and both go to see Ari, and I thought this was a really weird Ari passage. I felt like she was acting a little bit out of character, personally. You think so? I do. Actually, now that you mention that, she was very I open to Mola. Like, she like was. Way more than, and I'm wondering... This is just a stupid theory in the back of my head, but I was like, maybe she was exposed to some of the fumes and, like, toxicness of the tar and just, like, was kind of out of character. Oh. But that is very much just me, like... I think if the character was male, she would have been way more skin-off. She did say, because Kowalska says, I have, I've brought a friend. Sorry, stomach goes on. (laughs) (laughs) yours. And, um, Ari says, who is he? Kowalska says, it's a she. Right. And R.E.V. is, like, a little bit more welcoming to that. Mm-hmm. Which, to be fair, understandable. I just think, like, and I um, know, that, like, Kavoth even addresses, like, how long it took him to, like, get comfortable with Ori, and maybe it's because he's a male, and, you know, maybe it just would take longer overall. I just feel like, personally, does, like... Um, does ammonia poisoning, like, do something to her mind? I don't think it's, like, an addling of the mind. I think... Truth be told, her home got invaded with fire and noxious fumes. She could have been a little addled, but I think more importantly, she trusts Kavoth at this point. It's not, she's not like a ride or die for Kavoth, but the fact that she brought somebody around who's female, I think she was like, you know what? He wouldn't do this unless it was like altruistic. I think yeah. any other scenario, maybe, if there wasn't a fire in the under thing, I think she would have ran off, no questions asked. But I think due to the fact there's a fire in a fishery and him checking on her, I don't know, though. I don't know. I I'm just like half I mean, I'm not saying she's, like, completely convinced. out of character. I just think it was, like, it was. she was a little bit strange in this. It was definitely It was strange, because he was like, did you notice something strange went on? She was like... Oh gods, yes. Yeah, that yeah, that was another thing. Everything like, smells she's like not that kind of like, like outburst. It's so like, strange and weird. Right, she's not and like I don't know the effects of like ammonia, but I don't know. It. I mean, it wasn't just ammonia. It was you know all sorts of like, who knows what was going on in the under thing, like fire and fire and, and oxygen deprivation right. and stress and so, she's anyway, it's just a little shocked. thing in the back of my mind where I was wondering if that. Could explain why she answered that one thing so strangely. No, that's fair. And then, like, because Mola was there, she was just like, okay. Right, yeah, and she's like, you want an apple? <laughs> like, Let's hang out. Weirdly, very, like, okay with everything. 
she was very accepting at face value the fact that it was like Mola's here and it's like right. who's Mola? Right, and he wasn't like, oh, she'll like you know help treat you if you're hurt. She was like, it's Mola. But yeah. it was weird though because then there was a time where in book two, like Eldon's on the rooftop with her, but then either through the fact that she was a student there or the fact that he's visited her independently, already is very accepting of Eldon. I think that was also kind of a slow process. Or maybe they had a history, I'm not sure. But I think Ellen had been there... Honestly, from the sound of it, it sounded like Ellen had been going there for, like, years and years. Right. Trying to, like, earn her respect. Right. And could both earn it much faster, and Ellen was like, oh. Very impressed, yeah. Yeah. Holy moly, like, you... You knew her name. Right. You were able to, like, give her a name. Right. And do this much faster than I expected, and... Up until that point, I think Eldon had, like, very much disregarded Kvothe. And was like, you are impulsive, you are brash, you don't have what it takes to become a namer. Right. And That was certainly a turning point. Yeah, that was definitely a turning point for him to be like, okay, you know what's going on with Ori, you've given her this name that, like, makes sense with her. Which is why I think that Eldon knows that that's Princess Ariel. Hmm. Hmm. And for Kavot to out of nowhere be like, that's Ari. And Ariel like, sounds the same. Ah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think that makes sense. But anyway. Hmm. Back to the book. Back to the book. I'm going back to the book. Yeah. So, um, obviously, Ari's, like, okay enough where Mola does not need to give her medical attention. But as Kavot and Mola are leaving, Mola's like, you need to tell somebody. Like, mm-hmm. she doesn't need immediate medical attention, but, like, her mental state is not okay. She does not have enough, like, nutritionally, like, this is not good. Right. And Kvothe is very apprehensive about this because he doesn't feel like anyone will actually help her. Right. I do think Molo is kind of, like, a plot device to explain why Kvothe hasn't done, you know, made Ari more public. Like, I think it's very much a Quoth was able to explain all his thoughts behind Ari and how he treats her and how he, you know, kind of keeps her... It's not... I mean, it's definitely a secret, but, like, he's basically able to justify his actions. Yeah. Through Mola. Through his explanation no, that's to Mola. true. That's very true. And he also, like, doesn't want to have anyone, like, come looking for Ori because he's worried about, like, the repercussions about it. And... I don't know. Like, he just, like... He wants to keep it a secret, and Mole's like, well, I'll give her my clothes, like, I'll donate my time and my things, and Kvothe's like, you know, she doesn't like other people's clothes. Right. She doesn't like these things. If people Very come looking for her, like, it'll be different, like, right. she's not gonna like it, don't do it. So it's, it's, he's very much the protector, and in this situation, I think that's actually okay. I, I understand. I mean, I think he's right in thinking that, you know, if made it too public, she would run away, you know? No, I think that's absolutely true. I thought it was interesting. There's some part of it where they're like, she's not sealed-ish or yes. something. Yes, okay, that's right here. Good point. So, Mole's like, oh, you know, I can bring her some of my clothes, and Kvo says, no, she's not gonna like them. Like, I brought, I tried to bring her this, like, used dress. Oh, she said it was dirty to wear other people's clothes, and that's when Mole's like, oh, she, I, she's not cultish, she doesn't look cultish. Or yeah. sealed-ish. Which is a good point, because, like, 
different That's customs. Probably like a character trope of like a certain like custom. Mm-hmm. And Ori, I think, having read the next book and the Slow Guard of Silent Things, Ori isn't childish in any way. No, she's just wired differently. But she's wired to like be aware of naming and be aware of like the past. And so to feel like the reverberations of like other people to wear another one's clothes her to her stuff, for yeah. be like imposter syndrome. Right. Yeah. So I think that's pretty cool. Mm. Yeah. That brings us to chapter sixty-nine. Chapter sixty-nine. Wind or women's fancy. So Kavolt is stoked about his new cloak, though he has not been able to locate Nana. What? So, so he's been, like, reusing his time to, like, borrow a book from Devi, hang out with Threp, or play music at the Elodin, even though he's looking for Denna. At the Elodin. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Aeolian. To be fair. You're a pet I have a pet peeve of this is, and I've noticed in other books, where you have either two characters' names that are similar mm-hmm. or two things that are similar. And I don't God care. Goddamn Sauron and Saruman. Yes. yes. Why are they so yes. similar? So, Aeolin and Elodin. <laughs> if it's not specifically related, why the fuck are their names so similar? Be creative. Other names exist. Other letters exist in the alphabet. Like, I, I feel like the only reason to connect them is, like, because, like, they need to be connected on some surreal level of, like, oh, like, one symbolizes the other, blah, blah, blah. No, these are two Like, Sauron totally and Sauron, man. No. Well, and Alone versus Aeolian, like... What's a person? What's a place? What's going on here? <laughs> Just... Let us read in peace. <laughs> Any, anywho, um, we find young Kavod heading over to the Aeolian after doing some shopping across the river at Imre for fishery supplies because he can get it cheaper over the river than he would at shops by the... University. Because they charge higher, because they know for sake of convenience they can do it. Well, because university students are lazy. And and probably rich. So I like this part, <laughs> because after Kavol's mundane errands, he stops by the alien, and Diok is there, and he's like, oh, your girl's not here today. He's like, it's not my Diak's girl. It's my girl. Talking <laughs> about so he's my like, girl. He's like, right, my girl. girl. <laughs> So, and I love that. Just like, just like, alright, the girl. Like, everyone knows, but okay, well. I know, like, Kavolt, like, such a 15-year-old proud boy. Like, <laughs> she's not my girl. And it's like, dude, like. We're not dating. <laughs> she's not my girlfriend. Like, dude, we know. Like, it's fine. Like, you pine for her hardcore, but she ain't here. But it's also, like, fascinating because Dayak is like, you know what? She's not your girl. She was my girl. And Diop's like what, mid early thirties, like thirty two in my mind. Thirty ish. Like according to In my mind he's like about thirty. And in in also my mind, Jenna's like eighteen now? 
Give or take, yeah. So when Dag is like talking about like how he used to know Donna, I think she was about sixteen and he was in his late twenties. Yeah, he said it was like a year and change or two years. He made it seem like it was so long ago. That's not long at all. Not at I all. mean to a fifteen year old boy it seems a lot. I don't think it was yeah, like but... a sinister thing. But Kavod Oh yeah, but that's not like that long ago. It was like, like Dag's earlier like, than that. Oh, it was so long ago. Hardly even two years, dot dot dot. Like for a thirty-year-old, like I don't know. No, that's nothing. I think maybe that's he's nothing. trying to create distance from himself. Like, well, yeah, actually. but then Quoth is like, "So what was she like back then?" And it's like she was a year younger, two years younger. Yeah, like more very similar. She was the same, right? No, that's actually really fair. Good but, point. But Quoth knew her like I don't know how. He also like I'd say like six to like nine months ago. I was such an old okay. man now, and it. And Quoth's like, old man, like, alright, come on, dude. Like, yeah. you have all your teeth, all your hair. Like, what are you fucking talking about? No, but there's, like, a very altruistic statement. It's not altruistic. Mm. There's a I very... think it's just very much a camaraderie time. Yeah, where he's like, sure. nothing makes you feel older than a young girl. I don't know if this is the same time where Quoth says, like, there's no kind of camaraderie of, like, Having known the same enemy or right. known the same woman. Yes, right. and that's great. I love that line. To like adventurers and villains alike, like there's just something about that that like will strike a chord in anyone. I will say these books are very good about like not judging women for the situations they somehow end up in sometimes. Mm. Because this entire conversation today is about how like Donna's in a tight spot. It also shows, like, a 30-year-old's perspective versus a 15-year-old's perspective. So we've been hearing what Kvothe has to think about Denna this entire time. All of a sudden, Diak is talking, and you're like, wow, he has, like, thought this through. Like, yes. holy cow, he has really taken Denna's life into perspective and put his mature spin on it and really seen it for what it is. And meanwhile, Kvothe is just like, she's pretty. And yes. Talks nice. Ah. Even just several chapters ago where Diak's like, you ought to be careful with that one. She's going to rip your heart out. Kvothe, like, being 15, 16-year-old, Kvothe is like, when she strikes my heart, it's gonna ring loud and true. I'm gonna win her back because I'm in love. And, like, Diok being, like, in his early 30s is like, she's a young girl. How and tight How wise. Uh, and I will forever love that because I've already talked about it, like, three times. <laughs> and all I'm gonna say is... There's such a beauty and simplicity about that, and I constantly think about it when I make life decisions. It's like, do you take the young, foolhardy approach of living in the moment and just enjoying that feeling of satisfaction of being there and living in that moment? Or do you have the wise approach instead of being foolish? Do you think about the repercussions of your actions, how it's going to affect you after that moment is done, and like what you do and how that affects you? And like... As we go through life, there's different stages and different approaches, but I really, as far as a piece of literature has affected me as a human being, I think about that a lot lately, and I love that it makes me think about that, because it's like, how do we want to approach our life? Do we want to be impulsive? Do we want to live the moment? Do we want to think long-term? Do we want to be cautious? And that's a really interesting piece, because we've all experienced different parts of that spectrum on different ends and at different times. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I'll say Kvothe wants to be reckless. Yes. Because he's just going all the way for Dana. 
I do want to say there's one line in there where it says, like, I think Diaco Furster has harder to lay hands on than a windblown leaf. I yes. just love the foreshadowing to what's about to come mm. at the end of this chapter. Especially, like, Master Ash, and the leaf just, like, pops right into his mouth. Oh, that's true. Oh, shit. I know what I was going to say. <sighs> I was just thinking about so when he scatters his hair on the like... like, that was my... <gasps> that, too. That's... Mm. Uh, Phoebe, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, anyway... <laughs> Guys, so layers much layers. And layers and layers and layers. It's a lasagna of truth. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Just all those noodly layers. But as they're like going through the conversation about Dana, they do get into the topic of how like she seems kind of lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's got what did they say? She faces women's scorn. Yeah. And like because she's so flighty with men, like she can have one at a time, but that's about it. But other than that, she's Kind of alone. Absolutely. So I do feel bad for her. I mean, there, there's some bravery in her decisions in that she's like, I'm not going to subject myself to a life of, you know, prostitution or, you know, all the other kind of menial jobs that women seem to, you know. And then Kavolt is like, you're forgetting, like, waitress or craftswoman or whatever. And then Jackson, be realistic, like, Yes, there's, like, the fake label of, like, I'm working at this place as a crestwoman or a serving girl or a maid. And it's, like, she's a beautiful young girl in, like, harsh reality moment. And it's crazy and, like, effed up to think about. But, like, old dudes are terrible and they're going to put her in a bad position. So, like... So, like, should she go through the same amount of, like, bullshit for less money? Right. Or just kind of... Or just, own like, up. you know, Make own up the situation. Yeah. Well, it's not even mean own up. It's, like, own it on your terms. Yeah. Which is kind of what she's doing. Like, what Diok and Kavoth are saying in more polite terms are, like, that's why she goes on honest dates with the young guys, because they find her appealing, attractive, and beautiful. If young suitors take her out and buy her nice trinkets and do nice things... Far be it from her to sell it in order to survive, like, be as it were. She's not beholden to them. She doesn't owe them anything. The, a gift is freely given for her to do as she chooses. Mm-hmm. And so... I think it was very much like a big feminist moment in that book right there to be like, men who have no prospects still have more than women who have no prospects. Right? Agreed. And Absolutely. And I think it's important we can't that we her. That. Yeah, no, it was super important. Yeah, and I think I do think both really does take it to heart. I mean, what fifteen-year-old net like I certainly wasn't listening to adults when I was fifteen. I was very much like, nah, you don't know anything. <laughs> I think people are very easily influenced by older people, and this was a nice example of Kavoth being influenced for the better by somebody with the correct mindset. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so there's this really cool passage that like transpires between them, where they're like well into their cups. And it's just, there's a nice commiserate between them where there's both, like, well into their drink, they're drunk, it's, like, 4.30 in the afternoon, like... I love it, it's so early. And they're just, like, just shit-faced, like, and they're just, like, the to Diane, <laughs> to Denna, like, to young, bright, and fair, to young and unbending, to ever see, ever be sought, and ever alone, and then classic Kavoth, he says... Uh, so wise and yet so foolish. I'll say this before and I'll say it again one more time. There's such a beauty in idyllic 
like everybody can take a moment and have that for themselves because everyone's had those moments where they appreciate like themselves or somebody else being so wise yet so foolish living in the moment or being like flippant and just like going for it or Kavoth mm-hmm. and Diog they basically get wrecked at the bar they're doing their thing and not even that late in the afternoon at this point it's like 5 or 6 in the evening Kavoth leaves his way and this is where we encounter some deep dark shit mm-hmm. yes Definitely. He's walking home. It's early in the morning. He's distracted about this whole situation with Denna. So he's like, ugh. He's distracted. I gotta go home. I'm leaving. So he leaves the bar. And As, he's making his way home. And then the craziest part is he's basically taken over by two men in an alley where, like, he wasn't even, cons- his like, he even says, like, Maybe I've been too long at the university, but my hard-earned, like, reflexes of, like, living on my own in Tarbian have, like, failed me. Mm-hmm. I was drunk, and I was overtaken. Like, before he even knew it, there was but a hand over his still, mouth, like, and, like, two men to have that knife. I know, like, he is so like, hard. how could I have not noticed this? Right. It's, like, it's like, okay, dude. Like, dude, you're drunk, drunk and you're 15. Right, you're thinking about other things. You shouldn't be on high alert all the time. That's exhausting. And so this part's, like, really intense because for the first time in his life, like, two men have him and he, through their dialogue, they're, like, double they checking. They can't get away, though. So, like, mm. they have to go with a knife point in the dark. He's a little bit drunk, so, like, kind of slow to react. And... They're also slightly derpy, though. Let's call it a spade. Kvothe is, like, experiencing this, like, hold up with them. One of them is, like, Double check to make sure he's the right person. The other one's like, no, if he had, if he's got like red hair, like it's gotta be the right person. Right. Blah blah blah. So they like have conflicting like imagery of who they're supposed to be getting. So it's like way. a good cop, bad cop, where one is just like, let's just do this, get it over with the other guys. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> let's do this correctly, and the other guys like, fine, <laughs> I guess. So Kavoth like wriggles away. Ends up getting this, like, huge knife, like, cut down his side. Mm-hmm. But kind of... Just ignores it. He he drops the, the brand, I think they call it. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah. like, basically the brand. He drops the whole bottle. Right, and, like, and then it catches on fire, which catches the, the hired hands off guard. And so he's all, like, he thinks, oh, I'll wriggle away. And that's when he gets the, like, gash in his side. Oh, true. Yeah, because the knife gets split around the side. And I love how fast this happens. But I really enjoy the process in which, like, the events occur because create some distance and then, like, classic Kavoth, though, like, wedges himself, like, back against a wall. But, like, that's the moment, like, an animal or a human's most dangerous. Like, there's no way out. Like, shit's about to get real. Like, hackles are up. It's about to go down. There's no, like, trash in the alleyway to use as a weapon or a knife. I'm patting my pockets. Like, what's going down? And he's like... <gasps> The silver filings. And I love the way it's described in the book because he's like, there's no mass or weight. Like, he throws in an arc, like, hoping like, it'll get in front of these He's dudes. like, it's a fistful of snow. Like, yes. Oh, it's just, like, beautiful. Like, just... Right, yeah, like, like it, it's so easy to imagine. Like, like wisps. You know it doesn't... All the strength in the world won't save you. It goes nowhere. Like, it maybe three feet. And I like maybe, this maybe. moment because there's the slight, like... It doesn't always work out immediately for the hero, where, like, 
He tries to set a binding between the filings and, like, the fire occurring on his leg and, like, the pile from the brandy. He's like, not good enough. And then just slides his hand down towards, like, his wound and his ribs. He's like, Oof. I'll use my Seems blood. To be his go-to. Yeah. <laughs> blood. Okay. He also gets into a lot of desperate situations, so. Yeah. I think due to necessity, it was a very appropriate link. It was beautiful. It I would was, not uh, think that clearly. Such yeah. a good get big moment. Just like, hand to wood, like, I'm gonna fuck you up. <sighs> like, flash grenade. Like, oh, yeah. And so all the filings, like, ignite, like, bright white blue flame. Like, one of the dudes is so, like, mesmerized by the flash, he, like, runs into a pole, knocks himself out. <laughs> Yeah. The tall doofy That's one me. is like. It reminds me of the robbers in um, Home Alone. Yes, <laughs> a there's lot. such a like comedic slap. With the tall one, and then the other one, I just imagine I don't remember their names. Marv. Marv, yeah. Just like in my head, that's who they are. No, yeah. it's perfect. Yeah, it's it's, there's definitely a slapstick quality to the content of like oh, yeah. their folly. And so the tall one's like clearly just flash blind, and he's like, "Oh no, like my always like I the way I read it, it's definitely like old English like accent at this point." Yeah. And I love this because there's the naivete involved, where in his head, like he's gonna be all like fearsome and macho. intense, and he's like macho. He's like, "Who's hurt you?" <laughs> and instead, he gets like brushed against. Uh, yeah, literally. He's like, "Who's hurt you?" And they're like, oh, "I don't know." They gave us money, and then like the other guy like rolls over. He's like, <gasps> and like, I know. He's like, "I yeah. wish I said that I could stay and like be manly and like have run this interrogation through its course, but like, no. terrified. I ended up like." Running as fast, <laughs> like afraid as, little as fast as possible in the opposite direction, which, like, to be fair, I get is what I would have done. I would have been fucking out of there. He so was way more machismo than anything I would have come up with. I mean, I'd be dead if I were him. I would have either like busted out of me. He was like just been like, poof, like kicked down a fucking window, been like, "Who are you?" <laughs> no, definitely. and then if they didn't respond, been like. Shit, run away. Right, yeah. <laughs> Goes for Batman, ends up becoming Robin, but... Yeah. He, like, holds his own, dips out of Dodge, away. and, like, gets out, and, like, there's a really cool part where he's, like, freaking the F out, and he's like, wait, I didn't get a chance to get their dowsing compass, they're gonna have a way to find me, and this is definitely one of my absolute, like, I say every episode, like, it's my favorite part, I love this part. No, this is, like, a smart This oh, was, beautiful. like, the title of the book, like, this moment, Patrick Rothfuss intended for it to be, like, the es- like, this moment is the essence of the book, in my opinion. Kavoth ends up going to, like, a nook and cranny over the courtyard, the courtyard and the school, and he's basically using some tar on the roof to attach his hairs to leaves. The beautiful intrinsic thing about this courtyard is the way in which the wind interacts with the surrounding environment, the architecture of the buildings. It sends the wind in different directions. And this, so this part is like important on like six different moments. <laughs> First off, Kavoth in his haggard, half-drunk, adrenaline-filled, like, survival mode, a subconscious mind sees the wind, and this is the first moment in the entire series where Kavoth is recognizing the ever-changing wind, and he, he calls actually... It, he calls it a pattern made of changing patterns. Yes, he finally oh, sees through it. it, where everything that brought him to being an 
Arcanist, understanding sympathy, meeting Bend, it was all derived from learning the wind. And in this moment, he is a cognizant moment of understanding the pattern of the wind and like recognizing it for what it is. And it's on such a primal subconscious state where it's very similar to when he like learns naming or when he's playing music and personifying it to other moments. So he's in this courtyard and actually like understanding the flow of the wind and who appears but none other than Elodin. And I love this part because there's like this moment of like transfixed time where it could have been like 15 minutes or two hours. But Elodin's like, it's a lovely night for the wind. And Kavoth is like snapped out of his reverie and he like looks down at his hands. And all the blood on his, like, hands and body are dry. So it's clearly been, like, a hot minute. It's so windy, though, which could have dried the blood faster. This is very Just true. Saying. It could have been, like, oh, a harsh, gusting wind point. drying yes, out. Yes, I, I think the point is that it's been a, a while. And Elodin has this really interesting dialogue where he says, you know, this hall used to be called by one name. The Kuo, Kuo Yen? Is that what you're saying? Kuo Yen. Kuo Yen Heo. Questioning Hall. And so he, he was like, people used to understand as a questioning hall where since all the gusts of winds went through like six different chambers of hallways and avenues and corridors, people used to write pieces of paper of questions. And like toss them in the courtyard and see which way they went. And depending Almost on which like a way. Multi-able. Yeah, or like. Um, yeah, pretty much like imagine yeah, ball. Depending on which like hallway they went down, it would determine an answer to that question, like when, where, why, how, like mm-hmm. that sort of deal. However, like the original name stemmed from something else, which eventually translated to like the Hall of the Wind, so appropriately like titled. Yes. And I love this because even though Kavoth is in like this reverie of like transfixed between being exhausted, bloodied, bruised, survived, and, like, seeing the wind come out. is, like, not phased by the fact that Elden is there and, like, dropping some science. He's like, thanks for that. I'll see you later. I mean, I'm surprised he wasn't, like, thinking more about the name of the wind, but I guess I mean, he's been mugged, he's, or whatever you want to call it. Kvothe has had enough for one day. Yeah, <laughs> he's, like, like, he's day. like, okay, I'm ready for bed. He's, he's um, so confused. Like, I know Elodin's like, yeah, just call me by my first name, Master. And Kvothe's like, I don't know if he's kidding or not. <laughs> like, it's, he's it's kidding. such an obvious <laughs> joke that, like, obviously Kvothe is not in the right mindset to learn anything right now. Ugh. But right. it's unfortunate because it seems like that's about as close but it's to also twofold for Elden because, like, even though he's like cracked slightly, like, here's a student bleeding on a rooftop at like two in the morning. That's like his bread and butter, though. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's like, like oh, cool. nothing's happening. Uh, All right, I'm, I'm here. here. So this part, Kavoth literally goes back to his room, has like his oh shit moment where like he breathes and digests. He's like, wow, a lot just happened. And instead of, like, going to bed, he's like, oh, wait, they might have a dowsing compass on me still, even though I, like, scattered my hairs, they might know where I live. So he, like, gathers his, like, immediate possessions and just, like, hightails it out of there and, like, heads towards an inn. Just constantly on high alert. Yeah, just, like, survival mode. And so while he's, like, gathering his belongings, he, like, uncovers a note in his windowsill. And who is it from? Denna. She basically explains that, like, she missed, she missed him, and that 
she would like to like recap and catch up for lunch and if he wants to catch her it'll be at the Swan and Swale in Imray call her before the 23rd of this month otherwise she's gonna be long gone and it's like the 26th but it's the 26th or 27th so he's clearly oh it's the 28th actually like he it's been long gone she is out of here Bye-bye. And so he's like, oh, shit. And so he literally grabs his loot, his, like, immediate possessions, and he grabs a pot from the kitchen at Onkers, and he basically tosses his blood in there as a secondary precaution for the Dowsing Compass because he realizes while he was getting mugged, he got cut by that knife. If they had his blood, it would be so much easier to track him rather than hair. So it's actually brilliant. He goes That's over so to the smart. bridge over the Omethi oh River, tosses it basically like a big pot, like his bloody clothing, and sends it down the river. So if these like derps like are still advancing on Kaboth and searching after him, they're gonna fall down river because they're gonna see it's moving south, but it's not gonna be actually him. So on his perspective, it was absolutely brilliant. I do That's think so his time in Tarpeon is really key in a lot of the things he does. Like, I think yes. it helps with his, like, reaction times for things, because obviously he's always on high alert for years. And I think it helps him think like the criminals, because he was kind mm. of a criminal at some point, and so he's yeah. really a fight or flight or freeze. In this case, like, obviously he's fight, because that's what he would kind of grew up, at least, you know, during his formative years. Yeah, because if he, like, didn't have that, he would just be like... Yeah, no, there's no hiding at home, and, like, this is actually a very surreal moment for Kavoth, because although he's cut out his own like little slice of life over at the university, I think this is like a real moment where no matter where he is, he truly isn't safe. Yeah, this is like his first like oh shit moment of like Ambrose can touch me outside of the university. So it actually loses a lot to ponder, but. Until next time, fantastic listeners, happy and healthy reading. podcast was recorded by Anna Opishinsky and Sam Furman, edited by Anna Opishinsky, produced by Anna Opishinsky and Sam Furman, with webpage and artwork designed by Anna Opishinsky.